Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're talking about aging because we're all doing it right now as we speak. And if you've ever thought to yourself, why can't I remember their name when thinking of someone you can picture in your mind? Well, you're not alone, and you know what I'm talking about when we mention those brief little moments of brain malfunction. Well, today we're going to learn what to do to prevent more of them, what medications might make it worse, and what are some things that could be in your medicine cabinet that might not be so safe. We've got Dr. Carolyn Hubbard in the studio from Kaiser Permanente in Honolulu. We're going to talk about how to keep our bodies and our minds as healthy as possible as we get older. But first, we're going to talk about one of the building blocks of staying well, and that's what happens with sleeping as we get older. Dr. Cheryl Shook is in the studio. She's a neuroscientist, author of Herbs and Nutrients and Neurologic Disorders, which is a book that has a lot of really great scientific evidence on why we need certain supplements and nutrients in our diet. And she's going to be giving a few upcoming workshops at Kapiolani Community College regarding improving health by improving sleep, keys to better brain health, and more. She's here to give us a little preview of what's going to be discussed during this three-part series. Dr. Shook, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Now, you have a lot of really interesting information. We're going to talk some more about the neurologic disorders and the dietary effects of what we eat and what we need to supplement later on in the fall. I think December we've we've booked that already. Um, but let's talk a little bit about this series. You know, just today I had an individual come in to see me and he's a great guy. He's in his 80s. And he said, Doc, I want sleeping pills because I'm not sleeping. And yet I know he has medical conditions that are more important to treat sleep apnea in his case. And yet he's watching TV and he's hearing about sleeping pills and knowing that a good night's sleep is really important. What can we do to improve our sleep? One of your workshops is to take a look at this. What happens? How come I could sleep forever as a teenager and now now I can't sleep past nine? It does change as we age and it changes with different conditions too. And I'd say the situation with your patient is a common situation. And one of the first things I'd like to see people do is take almost like an inventory of their habits, right? And so the sleep Okay, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> Just sleep habits? I'll stick with that. Okay. <laughs> All your habits. Mm, that's even scarier. Okay. So how would that help me? How would that help mm -hmm. somebody who's having trouble sleeping? Mm -hmm. So I like to break it up usually in terms of look into the things you're doing during the day, look at the things you're doing right before bed, and then look at the things that you're doing while you're in bed. So one of those things that I think has really come to the forefront, and I've heard a lot of people talk about it, is screen time before bed. Mm -hmm. Looking at, you know, I was just talking about watching TED Talks if I can't sleep mm -hmm. and how that sometimes doesn't really help. But, you know, we have these little phones that have screens and videos. People read books on screens, and some of them are backlit, yes. and some of them are not. And some people watch TV. Does watching something that is like a glowing, moving image affect our ability to sleep? 
Absolutely. And fortunately, there's also a lot of research on it, and it's making it into mainstream media as well. So a lot of people are hearing about it and looking for solutions, because really, ideally, we wouldn't want to have any of that light on our face. We call it the blue light. That's what disrupts the hormones that are released that's going to help you to sleep. We wouldn't want any of that light on our face within at least an hour before we're trying to go to sleep. But the nice thing is, you know, I meet people who say, but I really want to watch my show before I go to bed, or I just want to send some last little messages to somebody. And there's... um, apps like one I like is called f.lux that can actually turn your screen orange because really what you want to do is not let that blue light come through and there's also sunglasses well let me say not sunglasses yellow tint they're orange glasses yeah and so they block but they look like sunglasses in a way but the lenses are orange and what they do is they block that blue light and so some people really will just settle in for the evening and put those orange glasses on and do what they want to do with the media before they go to sleep which at least addresses the blue light component. There's the other active mind part, but still that's a huge part of it. So let's talk about the active mind. A lot of people tell me I just can't fall asleep. And I say to them, okay, is it because you can't shut your mind off? Or is it because you really just, you're you're really relaxed and you just can't fall asleep? And I would say nine times out of 10, somebody says, I just worry about everything. I can't shut my mind off. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do I turn my mind off? Yeah. And so this is one of the things I spend a fair amount of time teaching to people too, because that wild mind, that's just our nature, right? So most of us will never get to the point where we could say, okay, clear your mind, quiet your mind. I often tell people, just try it for a minute. See how that goes, right? And for most of us, we've composed a few emails before the minute's up. Or we're saying to ourselves, come on, clear. Mm-hmm. Clear your mind. You're mm-hmm. supposed to be cleared. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you clearing? Yes. You know, so, yes. okay. So one of the things that I suggest for people to start with is, for example, three nights a week, and I'll say just pick the three nights and stick with it. Okay, so let's say you're going to do Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday nights and set your phone for three minutes And sit on the edge of your bed and just notice every time you start thinking. So the goal is not to stop thinking. It's just to notice every time you start thinking. And so what you're doing is you're training your mind, which you really can do. And so you develop that skill in those three minutes, three nights a week, and you become aware of that wild mind and how you can come back to something such as your breath while you're sitting there. And then that technique, you can use that if you're also having a hard time quieting the mind So it's almost like looking at a form of meditation, really. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot of people think meditation is I sit there and, you know, I sit in a funny pose and and I, you know, put my hands in a certain (laughs) way and and my mind goes blank. And that's what I do. And in fact... It's a much more active process than we think. It is active. And it's for me, I think it's more about being aware. It's about noticing and and being kind and and having a sense of humor about it, too. You know, realizing, oh, my goodness, I just fantasized about how I was going to answer this phone call tomorrow three times during my three minutes, you know. And probably took longer than it will when you actually answer the phone Mm -hmm. call. Mm -hmm. Okay. So sleep is one of those building blocks of making sure that we take care of our bodies. What are some of the other things that you have these you have these great workshops? We'll talk more about it in a minute. But mm-hmm. what's workshop two? Workshop one is sleep. What, the, how do I keep my brain healthy? Well, that's workshop two. Yeah, I so, want to do that yesterday. <laughs> so how, how can I do that? Right. So, yes, workshop two is about keys to better brain health. And the idea is to look at all the different aspects of your life and how you can, in a gentle way that works with the way you're currently living, because that's important to me, too, for people to say, okay, where am I now? Let's start with where you are now and what feels pleasant and doable for you. And so trying to move toward eating healthier foods. And again, similar to what we were talking about with the meditation practice, noticing the things that you're doing and seeing how you can make those changes. So foods 
and supplements and lifestyle changes and practices that we can learn. Mm -hmm. And so really, it's not about these radical changes where suddenly, okay, starting on Monday, I'm never going to drink soda again, Mm -hmm. and I'll never eat chocolate or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's taking a look saying, hey, doing that inventory you talked about, where am I at? Where do I want to get to? And how can I make some subtle, realistic changes that can be long term? Because when you make those drastic changes, you often go right back to where you were in a very short time frame. So little baby steps, turtle steps, shall we call them? Yes, yes, absolutely. Because even, for example, if you really enjoy that soda, sometimes people will say, oh, should I just drink it as slowly as I can? And I wouldn't even say that. I would say just, okay, maybe pour a smaller cup of it and really notice it while you're drinking it and enjoy it. Okay. And so... Being in the moment, Mm -hmm. focusing on that, it's almost what we're talking about is really a whole sense of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's really interesting that you're a neuroscientist and you're talking about mindfulness. And really, that's what it's all about. So what about the third component? There are three workshops that you're giving on three separate days. And what is that one? Is that sort of going to wrap up all the good information and help give people a plan to go forward? Yeah, it's going to help people who have been to the other two workshops, but it could also help people who just want some assistance in changing habits in their lives. So um, any kind of habit in your life. I think a lot of us have decided and made a commitment, I'm going to start eating healthy next week, or I'm going to start exercising, or I'm going to start going to bed early. And, and very often, we tell people when we're committed to it, but yet we end up not doing it. And that's just human nature. And from a neuroscience perspective, there's actually a lot of research about why that happens. And so this habits workshop is about any kind of habit that you want to change in your life, How can you actually change that? How can you work with what we know about how your brain works in order to help you to change those habits successfully? And a lot of it has to do with what we were just talking about a second ago, taking small steps, but also kindness to yourself and being aware of some of the ways in which we really are hardwired when we do try to make a change in a habit. There's things that we know from a neuroscience perspective that happen, and I'm going to be teaching people strategies for how to work with your mind, with what we know about the science of human nature, to make the changes in a way that's comfortable and accessible. So like when I say I'll never eat chocolate again and I know I'm lying, you could help me to eat less chocolate and maybe choose healthier chocolate. I'd like to say you brought me this fabulous dark chocolate with raspberries. I just can't wait to open that up. And so there are ways that we can use the way our brain functions naturally to help us rather than trying to push against that all the time. That's it. Exactly. So what makes you as a neuroscientist want to want to pursue this area of biology in a way. I mean, I often think of a neuroscientist, you're the one in the research lab who's doing all this research on brain cells. And yet this sounds so accessible to everyone. You're making science something that gets us excited and helps us to live healthier. How did you make that transition? Mm -hmm. Or were you always, do I just have this weird concept of a neuroscientist (laughs) from like movies or something? We're we're kind of freaky people. (laughs) I think you said, (laughs) I think that um, you said a word that actually means a lot to me. You said accessible. And that's something that's important to me in general in terms of teaching and education. I feel so thankful for the education I have. And so then I feel like I am looking for opportunities to help other people to learn some of the things that I know, and especially about healing. I think to help people heal and help people get information that feels aligned with their intuition, it feels in line, it makes sense to them. 
And that really makes a difference. I mean, lots of people can go ahead and treat high blood pressure with pills and pills and pills. And in some cases, you need to take medicine for that. And that's definitely a part of what you need to do. But if your blood pressure is high because you're stressed out, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not exercising, and you're not really focusing on any of those habits, fixing some of those, your addiction to salt, whatever it could be, Mm. could really help your blood pressure and, in fact, make your body healthier and maybe you don't have to take all of these various medications. It's it's a way to, it sounds like it's a more comprehensive, almost holistic way to say, here's what we can do to stay healthy. And here's how you can use, utilize your brain function to help you to do that. Yes. Now, I'm excited about the lecture series. I want to go, I want to go to that third one where you teach me. I want to go to all of them. Okay. <laughs> but I definitely want to go to the one where you're going to make my brain work for me instead of against me. <sighs> And if I wanted to go to these, how would I get more information? Okay, thank you for asking that. So there's a phone number that you can call. We like phone numbers. So it's 808-734-9211. So it's 734-9211. Okay. And then there's also a website. It's tinyurl.com slash kcc hyphen sleep. Now, this is because the events are taking place at Kapiolani Community College. They are. And when are these events going to happen? There's three workshops. Is that right? There are three, yes. And you could go to one. You could go to all of them. You could choose and see how it goes. When, what night? Is it at nighttime? Yes, it is. These are in the evenings. And yes, you can pick one. You can pick all three. They're offering a bundle. So okay. each each one is $20 each, or you can sign up for all three for $50. All right. So you get a little bit of bonus savings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and you can play it by ear, too, like you said. Sure. You what kind of nights are we talking about? Okay. So they're on Tuesday nights, starting on October 18th, and they're from 6 to 8 p.m. So, and then they're every two weeks. So the sleep workshop is October 18th, 6 to 8 p.m. Coming up next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. All right. And then keys to better brain health is November 1st, 6 to 8 p.m. Okay. And the last one sounds like your favorite. Your habits and your health. Simple steps for making positive change. Tuesday, November 15th. Wow. All right. That's my birthday. So I'm going to have to have, have ways to use my brain to make my health better on, on the 15th. Hey, you know what? I live around the corner. I may just show up. That's I promise good. I won't be that, that heckler in the back of the room. I'd be delighted. Oh, you just you just opened up the door to heckling. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you because this is really great information that people can utilize to really help because there's a lot of natural healing that can occur. And I think in a lot of cases, if we work on our sleep, if we work on our health habits, if we work on keeping our brain active, all of these things can help us to stay healthy. It really is not just I go to the doctor once or twice a year, they give me pills, I do great. It's all these little choices we make every single day. And as a neuroscientist, boy, you know more about the brain than anybody else I know. And if you can help my brain to work together with me, I'm there. Excellent. Okay, so if people want to know more, we'll also post some information on our Facebook page of The Body Show so people can can find out more info. And if you want more information, you can always call the station, and we'll make sure that we have that available if you need it. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing that with us today. Oh, I'm so grateful you gave me this opportunity. Oh, I'll see you. You just told me to heckle you. We're going to do it. (laughs)
And then we're going to talk again in the next couple of months about the book that you wrote, Herbs and Nutrients for Neurologic Disorders, which I find is extremely interesting because a lot of times we hear about supplements, but this is scientific evidence looking at the molecular cellular level of what people need in their diet, particularly if they have certain conditions. So Again, we're going to have another chat soon, but uh, I'll, I'll be your heckler coming up uh, in, a, in a couple of Tuesdays because I'm not getting older. But speaking of getting older, we've got Dr. Carolyn Hubbard in the studio. She is from Kaiser Permanente, and we want to talk about how we can keep ourselves healthy as we get older. You work as a geriatrician specialist, so you see people when they're older and what I'd like to start off with are what, you know, we talk about good medications to take to keep our bodies healthy, but there's a whole bunch of bad medications that we sometimes have in our cabinet and we don't realize it can have some detrimental effects for our bodies. So let's make a list of a couple of the bad medicines, Dr. Hubbard. I know you see people on this and a lot of times you see people who have side effects of the medications and then they get new medicines to control the side effects of the first one and then they have some other problem and get more medicine. Why why are we doing all these pills? What are some bad medicines that, in general, as you get older, you really shouldn't be taking on a regular basis? So those are really good questions. Like five of them at once. (laughs) Yes. So the more medications you take, especially as you age, the more chances you can run into problems with adverse drug events. Certain over-the-counter medications even we can get into trouble with as we age. So, for example, something as simple as Benadryl that you might take for an allergic reaction or to help you sleep, when you're younger and you can tolerate, as you get older, you may have a lot more side effects from it, and we really don't recommend it in our elderly population. So, like, sometimes people will take Tylenol PM, Advil PM. They don't realize the PM is Benadryl. Correct. And There's I an anticholinergic medication mixed in. Correct. It is. The Benadryl, which we think of as an antihistamine, also has these other properties called anticholinergic, like you just mentioned. I have a friend who was having troubles, took a bunch of Tylenol PM and could barely get up because it was way too much. And she didn't realize the PM meant that there was a second ingredient. Absolutely. So be really careful when we're looking at some of the over-the-counter medicines. Some of them may include an ingredient that you don't want. And if it says PM... Double check. Double check. Absolutely. Okay. What about pseudoephedrine? That's on my list of uh-ohs as you get older. Yes. Yeah, pseudoephedrine, generally, I also don't use in my elderly patients. Um, even in your young patients, you have to use that with caution. Um, but certainly, you're going to have much more side effects as you age. And some of those side effects for men in particular? With the pseudoephed? Difficulty with urination. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to pee, don't be taking that. Exactly. Because even it can with actually, the Benadryl. <laughs> even with the Benadryl, it can cause some troubles, particularly if you have prostate enlargement or something else. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there any other over-the-counter medicine that we might have in our cabinet that could really get us in trouble pretty quickly? Well, so there are common medications such as things like ibuprofen which you may be taking when you're younger and have no problems with. But again, as you get older, and especially as you get older and frailer, you can have problems with bleeding, you can have problems with fluid retention, and you can even affect the kidneys if you're taking it and you're not taking enough fluids. So even something as simple as that you need to be very careful with. And I've heard recently that Tylenol, you have to be careful with taking a lot of Tylenol or acetaminophen. That can also have effects. And in fact, in some cases, some studies have shown it can affect your memory. Correct. And so we're recommending, we used to have a cutoff of four grams per day, and now we're dropping that cutoff to three grams per day. Two grams per day if you have any liver problems already. And is that every single day, or is it as needed? The, to use the Tylenol, you mean? Just as needed. 
So we wouldn't necessarily want people to take three grams or 3,000 milligrams of Tylenol every day. Correct. That would be the maximum. But yes, you would not want to be taking that maximum every single day. Gotcha. So it really is just as needed. Aspirin I would put on our list of, of potential. Not that, I mean, sometimes these are great medicines, but not all the time. Aspirin, sometimes a bad medicine. If you're on other blood thinners, uh-uh. You have to be very careful, even with things like aspirin, if you're taking another blood thinner, such as warfarin, if you've had a history of bleeding, um, people can get into trouble with that too. And so if your doctor recommends, hey, you should be taking aspirin, baby aspirin or even a regular aspirin prevents strokes and heart attacks, okay, but if you're having side effects, if you're having troubles, if it looks like someone beat you up because your arms have so many bruises, but you swear no one did it, you've got to talk with your doctor. You might need to adjust the dose. Absolutely. And so what I'd like to tell my patients is that when you see your doctor, not only bring all of your prescription medications, but bring whatever over-the-counter medications you're using. Bring whatever supplements you're using, because we want to know everything that you're ingesting. Because, you know, there really is not a database where we could put in every person's individual combination of medications mm-hmm. and figure out what side effects could happen with all of those. Yeah. That We study medicines sort of in, in singularity. We know the side effects of a certain medication when taken by itself. But there's a lot of chemistry that Absolutely. goes on in the body. And if you take one medication that might increase the level of another medicine, then you might have more side effects. It really can get extremely complicated. It can get very complicated. And as you say, as we start getting more and more medications, we really don't don't know what some of those interactions are going to be. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio, and we are talking with Dr. Carolyn Hubbard from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about the big bad medications and even some good ones and some other really good healthy tips to keep our brains active, our minds healthy, and really keep us going so that we can enjoy life through what is known as our golden years, even though... I've heard a lot of patients say they don't feel so golden, but it definitely is something we want to try and achieve. Now, if you have a loved one who's taken an over-the-counter medicine or even a prescription medicine and had some serious problems with it, and you figured out that that was the cause, we can all learn from one another. So we'd love to hear from you, share your story, maybe help someone else along the way. You can give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Intelligence Squared U.S., where the world's leading thinkers debate today's most critical issues. The next topic up for debate, has the president usurped the constitutional power of Congress? If the president is trying to advance the goal of the statute, then he's clearly not usurping Congress's power. Right. Well, good intentions are no substitute for good constitutional law. That's all coming up on Intelligence Squared U.S. This evening at 7, right after Humankind. In 1971, I cooked spaghetti to live and lived to cook spaghetti. Haruki Murakami cooks pasta. This week on Selected Shorts from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., right after Travel with Rick Steves. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak from Straub Medical Center. I am here with Dr. Carolyn Hubbard, who is in the studio from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about how to keep our brains healthy and active as we get older and how to keep our bodies that way, too. Now, we just went through the hit list, top five potential bad medicines that people might have troubles with as they get older. I'll do a quick recap. We talked about Benadryl or Diphenhydramine, Sudafed or Pseudoephedrine, Motrin or Ibuprofen. We talked about Tylenol or Acetaminophen and Aspirin as potential medications you have to be careful with. But the list can go on. And not only do we have to be careful with with over-the-counter medicines, But there's also some supplements and some prescription medicines we have to be careful with as well. Sometimes the same thing you used to take when you were 40 or 50, you can't take anymore when you're 60, 70, or 80, even though it never gave you a problem. As we get older, our bodies change, and we need to be able to be flexible and change along with it. So we talked about some of the -the over-the-counter medicines to be careful with. Let's talk about some of the prescription medicines. Dr. Hubbard, you're a geriatric specialist. You see people when they come in, and often you see what we describe in medicine as polypharmacy when people are on 10, 15, 20 different pills. And often I think to myself, how unfair as we get older and it's easier to get confused about what you took, did you take it and when, that's when people need more medication. What are some of the prescription medicines that you think people really have to be careful with as they get older? Well, let's start uh, talking first with about diabetes because I think that's one of those things that really changes over time. So medications that you might be taking when you're 30, 40, or 50, and even how much control, how tight control you want of your blood sugar at 30 or 40, 50, is going to be very different than what you want to be taking when you're 70, 80, and 90. So medications, for example, like Gliburide, which is a medication to help the pancreas uh, produce more insulin, can actually hang around way too long in an elderly patient. And so we don't recommend that for elderly people. We would switch them to a shorter-acting medication that would have fewer chance of having them drop their blood sugar too low. So like if people are on an extended-release medication, we have to be really careful as they get older because extended-release might mean 24 hours in a young person, Mm -hmm. but as our kidneys and our liver gets older and doesn't metabolize medicine as fast... 24 could be 36, could be 48. 48. Mm -hmm. Then we keep taking the medication. And with diabetes, as you mentioned, low sugar could be really dangerous. Mm -hmm. The effects of hypoglycemia as we age can be much more dangerous, partly because it's much harder to recognize. We might not get that sweating and shakiness that we get when we're younger, which tells us my blood sugar is too low. We might just get confused. And confusion in the elderly is unfortunately very common and very difficult to figure out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So many different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else would be on your list of prescription potential concerning pills? So other medications that we use, and it's always a risk and benefit equation, is something like warfarin. Coumadin. Coumadin. Exactly. Warfarin, mm-hmm. either way. Right. It could be a very beneficial blood thinner. And you can use it as you age, but you have to be very careful that you're not using other blood thinners with it, that you're monitoring your blood levels so that you don't end up with numbers that are way too high or way too low. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Marcos calling in from Maui. Marcos, welcome to The Body Show. Uh, Hi, doctors. I had a a question. I hope Um, we have an answer. What can we do for you? So. This is my question. Um, I know that in, in the elderly population, there's a lot of off-label uh, prescription 
given. And, you know, for patients that are given Seroquel too often, like, you know, on a, you know, two times a day or three times a day basis, since, since Benadryl is contraindicated, what kind of approach do you take when, when prescribing these medications for these people that you don't know if, you know, the next day they're going to be dehydrated and they're going to have EPS symptoms from, from the Seroquel? So it sounds like you're asking a great question, Marcos. You're wondering about Seroquel in particular, and that's often given to people when they get older, particularly if they have a lot of agitation or they have a lot of problems in there and they're getting confused or they're just not not able to control some of their behaviors. But you're absolutely right, and that's a whole class of medicines we're going to talk about. Some of the ways that we give medications to sort of, and I hate to use the word, but I think Dr. Carolyn, you'll agree, sometimes we give medicines to try and help balance moves or sedate someone, and it can have some negative consequences. What else, when we talk about medicines like Seroquel, what else can we use as people get older? Because we still use it, but sometimes the doses, maybe do we need to go really low on that? How do we manage that in someone as they get older? So the first three strategies you want to work with with somebody who has dementia and is expressing it through behaviors that are aggressive or that may be injurious to the, to the person or to their caregiver are all behavioral. So you want to look at what is happening that's causing those behaviors and what are things that you could do to modify to de-escalate those behaviors without medication. So that's always going to be the first thing you want to try. So what would – give me a real-world example. So for example – um, some patients really don't like to be bathed by a male caregiver, some female patients. Okay, so a woman is having a bath from a male caregiver and she feels uncomfortable and or vice gets, versa. Exactly, and she gets very agitated. Sometimes we find that just by changing that to a female caregiver, that agitation goes away. Sometimes if they're too, a person's too cold, they'll get agitated, can't express it. So sometimes it's simple things, hunger, being cold, it's too bright, it's too loud. So sometimes you just need to modify your environment to make your, mo- your environment more calming to help bring those behaviors down. Okay. Now, if you do have somebody who's having dementia with behaviors, sometimes we'll try an antidepressant first because that will have overall less side effects than a medication like Seroquel. So that may help stabilize mood. Correct. And it would allow them to function, not be a danger to themselves or others. Correct and not have the same potential side effects of a medicine like Seroquel. Correct. But there are some situations where we might have to use Seroquel. Absolutely. There are certain situations where you've done all the behavior modifications you can. You've tried medications that are potentially have less side effects, and you really need something because you're afraid that person's going to either hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. If you do use something like Seroquel, you always want to use the smallest dose that you can get away with. So even a dose like 6.25, which is just a little bit a crumb, can sometimes be enough. And if you need to use more, you can always use more, but it's always better to start too low and work your way up than to start too high. Gotcha. There's this little phrase, start low and go slow, that we kind of remember in medicine. Now, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had on, I had a really interesting show. We had a lawyer and we had a psychologist talking about capacity. And one of the things that the psychologist told me, which really just was one of those mind-blowing things that stuck in my head, is, you know, we had a caller who was describing having a mother who was swearing that the, I mean, obviously had symptoms of dementia, swearing that the neighbors were coming in and and moving all of her stuff around or stealing things that she was actually misplacing. And the psychologist said, and this was such a good tip, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. She said, you know, 
to the daughter who was our caller. Instead of arguing that, no, of course they're not doing it. No, of course the neighbors aren't. No, mom, you're crazy. Rather than arguing the fact, meet the mother at her level and say, that must be so scary for you. Let's talk about how you're scared. That the way to de-escalate the situation was not to keep arguing your point, even though you know that you're right. It was to meet the other person at their level. And I think a lot of times when we deal with people who may have some memory issues, may have some dementia, they might say something like, no, my mother's still alive, even though we all know that they're not. Rather than trying to argue the fact, meet them at their level. You don't have to agree with them because you may not feel comfortable saying yes, of course, and lying if you know that that's not true. But meeting them at their level and trying to find a way to address that particular situation is better than trying to say, no, she died 10 years ago. No, your mother's not alive. Why do you think that? You know, not the arguments. Right. There are these things called 10 communication absolutes for people with dementia. And you just 10 communication absolutes. Absolutes. Yes. Well, now I want to know them. (laughs) So you just said the first one, which was never argue. Instead, agree. If there's a part of it that you can agree with, say, yes, we haven't seen our loved one in a long period of time. Let's go sit down and talk about what we remember about them. So if somebody says, my mother's alive, I swear, you could say, we haven't seen her in a long time. What are your best memories of your mom? Absolutely. Or grandmom in that case, or whatever it may be. Okay, so I already learned one of the absolutes. Mm -hmm. You've already learned number one. I've only learned one, though. That's 10%. We've got to help me. I've got 90% more to do, and I'm one of those obsessive people. I want to get an A. Okay. All right. Shall we go through two? the other nine? We're going to go through them. Okay. So never try to reason. Instead, divert. So rather than getting into an argument and saying, but that's not logical, okay. divert. Okay. So if they're saying something like, it's, um, it's raining outside, and I am going to wear my raincoat, and you, it's a perfectly sunny day. Okay. Instead of trying to reason with them because they see the reality as they see it, how about we go sit down and have a snack, have a cup of coffee? Oh, would you like to play some bingo? Let's look at this doll together. So instead of, hey, it's not raining, see, take a look outside, mom, it's not raining, or dad, it's not raining, just change the topic, Mm -hmm. come to another, something Mm -hmm. that's different that they could talk about and Mm -hmm. refocus their mind. Exactly. Refocus, it's not inflammatory. That's not... Um, fighting. Fighting with them. Okay. Absolutely. All right. I'm 20% now. Okay, good. Never shame. Ooh, that's a really good one. That's good for people of any age. Yeah. Never shame. That's Never really shame. important. Distract, divert. Yeah. If somebody says, I don't want to take a bath right now, don't shame them into saying, but you smell. Exactly. You know, you should just say, okay, what troubles you about the bath? Or maybe we could let's smell your favorite soaps or something. Right. Let's go over here and see, oh, these soaps are very nice. Let's, let's start with washing our hands. Instead of saying exactly as you say, oh, but you smell bad. You haven't bathed in a week. Instead of recriminating. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Never lecture. Instead, reassure. And that's an important one because I think as our parents get older, sometimes kids are put in the position where they become the parent in a way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, your parents might still look at you and feel like you're 12. I mean, I just came back from a trip back to see my parents. And, you know, I could tell them medical advice till I'm blue in the face. And they are so not going to listen to any of it. Mm -hmm. But if their doctor tells them, it's like a light bulb went off. So I can't lecture them. I just, that's Mm -hmm. just never going to work. So instead, reassure. Reassure. How would you do something like that? 
So when they say, um, I don't want to eat this, okay, that's fine. What would you like to eat instead? Let's eat this together. Okay. So really trying to help them make some decisions, you know? And give them some power. Right. I learned that a while back. You know, my mother had a stroke about eight years ago. And one of the things that the care home she was in at the time told me was, stop deciding for her. Even if you Mm -hmm. show her two night shirts and let her pick which one she wants Mm -hmm. to wear, let her make some decisions. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, yeah, but it's so much easier if I just give her the shirt and say, let's put it on. And they're like, yeah, but then you've taken all of her power away Mm -hmm. and she feels like there's nothing she can do or say and then that's a greater likelihood she may act out or do something Mm -hmm. that is sort of trying to express that she needs to make decisions kind of like when kids are little and you say which color would you like or Mm -hmm. something along those lines that's a great sometimes they're frustrated they really want to make those choices and they just need some help to get there got it all Um, right number five so don't say i told you Oh, boy. I feel like I needed to learn this one some more. Okay, I told you that. Right, so you can just repeat whatever it was that you needed them to do and then help to move them towards that. So instead of saying, I already told you to do X, okay, let's do this together. Now, you're assuming that we have the patience of angels and saints. Absolutely. So in the real world, when Mm -hmm. you don't... Mm -hmm. Can you really try and eliminate the I told you already? So nobody's perfect. And this is just goals that okay. we try to try to get to. So if it's the date, you could say, let's look at the calendar. This is the day. Mm-hmm. You could have someone write it down. Mm-hmm. Hey, look what you wrote down on your paper. That's the day. Mm-hmm. Because Let's you're look right. at the newspaper together. Oh, I see on the newspaper it says it's this date. There you go. October Mm -hmm. 10th. So that may actually help to answer their question Mm -hmm. in a creative way so that you don't feel like you're answering the same question 10 times. Right. And that they learn it hopefully for longer than 10 minutes. Right. Okay. Right. Number six. Okay. Um, Instead of command or demand, ask or model. Okay. So instead of do this, let's do this together. Or watch me do this and then you try it. Exactly. Okay. All right. Number seven. Um, let's see. Don't condescend. Encourage and praise. That's an important one. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of times people feel like they're not getting encouraged or given enough, given enough praise for what they've already done. And it's not, hey, look, you put your shirt on backwards. It's, hey, look, you put on your, your shirt. shirt. Isn't Absolutely. that great? Mm-hmm. Let's adjust it or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, let's just spin this around. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Um, don't force. But reinforce. Hmm. So again, it's, it's putting the positive spin. Okay, you don't want to go to the bathroom right now. Okay, let's go and do this. And then, oh, okay, why don't we stop by the bathroom on the way? Hmm. That's really a good way to sort of, it's almost like diversion. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you want to head to your room. There's the bathroom. Maybe oh, we'll why don't we just stop there since we're on the way to your room? Instead of it's time, we have to go right now. Let's go. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, instead of saying remember... Yeah, that's really bad. Uh, yeah. Don't you remember? remember? <laughs> and you're like, I have a memory problem. Why would I remember, right? So, gotcha. Okay. Right. You want to reminisce about things that they do remember. 
So share with me what you remember about when you were a girl. Exactly. Okay. So really encourage because there's parts of the brain that have to deal with new memories and there's parts of the brain that deal with old memories. When we have people who have a diagnosis of memory issues or dementia, their old memories may be preserved and they may be living in a world where those things are much closer than realistically they have been. Right. So let them live in their reminiscing. When I was a girl, when I was a kid. Let them enjoy that moment. Right. And that can be wonderfully calming and soothing for a person to reminisce about their childhood. That sounds great. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're up to number 10. Ah, don't say you can't. Oh. (laughs) Do what they can. So instead of handicapped, handicapable. Right. So really focus on what is possible. What can someone do? Right. Give them options and choices of what they can do. Make them feel like, hey, look what you did. Exactly. So if they can't walk without a walker, but they can walk with the walker, look how wonderfully you're walking with this walker. I feel like I committed the top 10 sins of what I shouldn't do last week when I was home with my mother. Probably pretty much every single one of them. I should have had but you that's on before. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. I can see you're so positive. <laughs> you can do better. You can learn and you can improve. And Okay, good to know. Right. Just right. try one of them first. One of them try first. Try and see how that works and then you can move on from I there. I should start with Don't Argue. That would be a good one. <laughs> All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Carolyn Hubbard from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about how to help take care of our elderly so that we can all be in a position where it is it is a reinforcing thing for our behavior, for their behavior, and we can all live healthier lives. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some things that we can do to help our brains stay healthy and really focus on some things that no matter how old you are, that we can all do. Some easy tricks like just driving a different way home today and uh, things that we can do to grow new brain cells. And we'll talk about how we know that you can. Now, if you've had someone you love that have suffered from some issues with their memory or even had some medications that you weren't quite clear if they were doing okay with, and later on you found out maybe they weren't, we'd love to go ahead and hear from your experience because we all are here to learn from one another. You can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Aloha, this is Jose Fajardo, HPR's general manager. In difficult times, it seems that more and more people turn to the kind of programming that HPR provides, civil discourse through the exploration of complex issues, and the finest examples of the creative spirit. Your contribution to Hawaii Public Radio ensures that we can continue to bring you this kind of content. Please go to our website and become a member or renew today. And thanks. On the next humankind. People want to be treated like a person. They want to be understood much more than a diagnosis or a disease or a syndrome. For a new era in health coverage, doctors, nurses, and patients envision a system that cares for the whole person, not just parts of the body. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Carolyn Hubbard from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking a little bit about how can we keep our brains healthy? Now, we just talked about top 10 things that we could modify when we deal with people and they're older and how we can change our behavior to help them change theirs, keep everyone in a safe, healthy environment. But let's talk about what we can do no matter how old we are. There are some tips that we can consider to keep our brains healthy and active. And there are some simple things that people can do at any point. Some of the things that, you know, I was surprised, I got to tell you, a few months ago, I was watching a TED Talk. I think I talked about my screen time earlier in the hour. And, uh, and I was like, I can't believe it. Our body can build new brain cells. Now, I remember being in medical school and thinking that you're born with a certain number of brain cells, and that's it. You never make any more tough on you. And as you get older, you lose them. And that is not the case. We can actually modify our brain. There's a whole theory on something called neuroplasticity, which means that we can change what our brains do based on how we practice and use our brains in different ways, and that there are some great things that people can do at any age. Now, there have been a couple of controversial things about a couple of the brain training games like Lumosity. I mean, I was I was an addict. I was a Lumosity person. And I got really good at math. But I also got really good at like planting little seeds that turn into flowers and stuff. And that wasn't really something I do in my regular daily practice. So I don't know how helpful it really was. But when we think about some of the things that we tell people to do, Sudoku, for example, or we tell them do word puzzles, just keeping the brain active, what are some things that you tell some of your patients to do to help keep their brain functioning and keep it challenged? So reading is always wonderful. If you play a musical instrument, that's another wonderful thing to do. Or if you have the wherewithal to learn a new musical instrument, um, learning a new language, that can be mind-blowing. It can be. It's hard. It's hard. And you have to have the time and the energy and the dedication to do that. Pick you, one in the same alphabet. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> exactly. You know, if you really want to get industrious, maybe about seven or eight years ago, I decided to learn another language, and it had characters. I was learning Khmer mm-hmm. or Cambodian. And I got to tell you, I didn't know how to learn, like, the, quote, ABCs, because they're not ABCs. They're these little symbols. I went back to grade school. I wrote them like thousands of times and I said it in my head. It was like there were times when I really felt like, stop now. My brain is full. Really? I can't put anything else in there. It's full today. It can be mind-blowing, but really, really good. You can feel Mm -hmm. your brain like stretching Mm -hmm. to learn something new. Okay, so learn a new language. Mm -hmm. Learn a new musical instrument or pick up one you know how to play. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not good, so what? So what? That's okay. Even simple things where... When you go home, instead of taking your exact same path, you go a different path. Just because it challenges your mind, challenges you to think of another way to get home, helps your sense of direction. Absolutely. Have you ever driven somewhere and you don't really remember how you got there because you've done it so automatically? Like all the time. Right. I've meant to go one place and I wind up at my office. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't where I was headed. What happened? I wasn't thinking and I came to my office. Right. Because you're on autopilot. So you don't want to be on autopilot. You want your brain to be making new connections. Okay. And so what about physical activity? You know, we talk about exercise and Learning a new sport is is wonderful, but when you're older and you have some Mm -hmm. mobility issues and maybe some joint issues, Mm -hmm. what's the best form of exercise? I like patients to have some kind of aerobic exercise, so something simple like walking, biking, swimming. I like some resistance exercise, so bands or weights, and I also like some balance flexibility type of exercise. So I'm really a proponent of all of those. So do some kind of walking or aerobic activity. Mm -hmm. If you know how to bike and you're worried about biking on the roads, which 
justifiably, mm-hmm. you have a right to be worried about. Get an exercise bike. Exercise bike. bike. Mm-hmm. Recumbent bike, maybe when you're older, so it's mm-hmm. easier to get on and off. You don't have to try and, like, throw a leg over one of the upright bikes. And swimming if you know how to. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're safe. And you're safe. Very true. And then you mentioned bands. Like, some people mm-hmm. could get light weights. You could use a variety of different things to try and build up muscles because we lose muscle as we get older. Absolutely. I heard That's just automatic. Horrible statistic. And I could be wrong with it, but I'm just going to say it, and you can correct me. From the age of 50 onwards, we lose 10% of our muscle mass per year. I have heard that number in an exercise physiology book that I read, but I cannot confirm it absolutely because I've only read that one place. Yeah, I read it once, and I just didn't want to ever read it again. I didn't (laughs) Google it. I'm like, forget it. That sounds horrible. I don't want to know. So adding muscle. So not only do you do resistance exercises to to grow muscle, but you're actually just trying to keep the same amount of muscle. You're trying to keep status quo. All right. At the bare minimum. So you got to do resistance you gotta training. you got to do resistance training. Okay. And then as the we balance. get... balance. Yes. So important. Who mm-hmm. falls down? It's our elderly patients. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. So working on balance, you know, there's some simple yep. exercises. Working on standing on one foot. Hold on, please. Mm-hmm. But also just working on... Trying to walk and go up and down the stairs. I mean, people generally fall down when they're changing body position. That's right. Getting up That's out right. of a chair. Mm-hmm. Practice that. Right. Bending over to reach for something oh, and then losing yes. their balance. Absolutely. Bending over. Mm-hmm. Get shoes that you can slip on so you don't have to bend over and try and, and tie, tie them. them. You know, so what if they're grandma shoes? That's right. okay. Right. I want them now. <laughs> I don't have Velcro shoes, by the way. I do have things I need to tie. But still, I mean, it's just making your life as safe as possible, but still remaining a little bit of a challenge. Some studies have shown that some of the best exercises for balance uh, come from the Orient, you know, Tai Chi, Qigong. These are things that they're really, really helpful for working on balance and muscle. Right. And they're slow movements, so you're not rushing and throwing yourself all about, but they're very slow, controlled, and they do help with balance. Absolutely. Okay. So exercise. What's good for the brain is good for the body and vice versa. So if you're doing the aerobic exercise, building the muscles, working on balance, all of that can help you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, there's another topic that we could do a whole show on, which, you know, we have done a whole show on in the past. And it's something that we'll mention just briefly because I think it, it bears mentioning. And that has to do with advanced directives. So as we get older, as our mind is active and healthy and able to make thoughts and or decisions about what we're going to do as time goes on. This is another really important thing that uh, luckily, you know, and I'll be honest, everyone says Medicare is a difficult company to or, or insurance to work with. But hey, you know what? Since January, they cover advanced care planning. They cover an actual discussion just about advanced directives. Now, some people wonder, why do we care? When, when people ask, why do you want me to make a decision now? I'm healthy. What kind of advice do you give them? Well, there's multiple reasons, I think. Uh, One of them is that because you can tell me now what are your wishes, I want to make sure that when the time comes, I'm honoring your wishes and that your family or your loved ones aren't having to guess what you might want. Because that puts a lot of stress on family members who then maybe start arguing amongst themselves. No, mom would have wanted this. No, she would have wanted this. And if people don't know... Then they're, then they're really guessing. Well, and they're grieving. You know, you have this grieving yep. family mm-hmm. who is very emotionally upset about a medical condition, and you tell them, okay, grieve, but by the way, make a serious decision and take responsibility for that. And that's, that's a huge burden on folks. It's a huge burden. And if you can put your wishes into writing, it takes that burden off your family. 
And so what sort of decisions do people have to make on advanced directives? So an advanced directive generally has two parts. And one of the parts is where you designate who you want to make medical decisions for you if you are unable to. So that is your power of attorney. And you can select a spouse, a child, a friend, anyone that you believe will be able to act out your wishes. And it's really important that you talk to that person that you select. <laughs> Let them know. Let them don't know. Don't just spring it on them. And I've make, seen that happen a few right. times. Sometimes people don't tell and somebody's very surprised to find out that they Guess who? It's are you. having to make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you want to find out when you're talking to this person is can they honor your wishes? That's an important one. Make sure that they're going to be able to do that and that they're not going to make a decision that they want. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, because that does sometimes happen. Sure. The other caveat I have is choose more than one. So if you're going to choose somebody who is in the same age group that you are, choose someone else too, just in case the first person can't provide that service or they pass on or something happens. Or, you know, I've seen people get divorced and they don't want their ex to be making that decision. List more than one person so that the first person, if they can, if not a second person or a third, so that there's at least a little bit of range. Otherwise, you have to do a whole new document. And sometimes that's more difficult if you lose that ability to make decisions on your own because this doesn't happen until you're hopefully not, but in some cases in the advanced throes of dementia. Right. So sometimes when people do these documents when they're young adults, you do really need to revisit it because you may have chosen at one time your spouse, but your spouse may pass on, and then you may now be choosing your child. Or you might change your mind. Absolutely, yeah. Which is the other thing is you're allowed to change your mind. You know, when you put this in writing, it's not like this is it. You can't change it done deal. It's this is what you have chosen at this point in time. And if things change and you are of the ability to change your mind, you can always do that. Okay. So that was the first part is designate someone to help out. What's the second part? So the second part talks about what kind of medical care you would want if you are at the ending of your life and there are no other treatments to cure your illness or to make you better. So this would be where we talk about, do you want to be kept alive on machines? Do you want to have feeding tubes? Do you want to have pain relief? What sort of things do you feel is consistent with what you want? Correct. And the main key here is that the decision is yours. It's not your doctor's. It's not your spouse's. It's your or your loved one or your family or your friends. It's your decision. It's a very personal decision. That's right. Do what makes sense to you. That's right. And we promise as medical professionals, we will respect that because you have written it down. That's correct. And in fact, they did a study, and I think it was reported out either the New England Journal or the Journal of the American Medical Association within the last six months or so. And they found that they were doing a study and they were looking to see how often are advanced directives actually respected. And they used a particular, I can't remember what medical center, but they had an electronic medical record similar to what a lot of us utilize here in the islands. And if there was an advanced directive documented in the electronic medical record and it was easily accessible, like up to 95% of the time it was followed with no question. And 5% of the time there was some variability or somebody was listed that wasn't still around or something. But it really is followed. Like we really, we, this is a serious thing. We will follow it. Right. We, we want to as best to our ability to respect what the person has written and carry out their wishes. And so that's an important part of as we, not even as we get super old, 
into our super wonderful octogenarian, nanogenarian, those those levels where people reach their 80s or 90s, if you haven't done this, you can think about it at any age. Any adult really should be thinking about this because you never know what might happen. And let's say you're in an accident or something unexpected happens. You really want your loved ones to know what kinds of treatments you would or would not want. Very true. Very true. And in fact, it's kind of ironic. I'm really picking on my family today. I don't know what happened. I just came back from there. Maybe that's why. Last August, I had my dad. He was here visiting. I made him do his advanced directives live on air on this show. Wow. And he had no idea what I was going to ask him. I got to give him props for showing up, you know, and actually being part of it. I told him nothing. And then he actually, his advanced directors were completely different than I ever thought they would be. But what a nice way to learn about it, to have him tell us in his own words what he thought was most important, what his criteria was for having a quality of life. And uh, so, of course, I nominated my brother to be his power of attorney because I'm like, I, I don't think I can do that. Go make him do it. But uh, it was it was very interesting and enlightening. It's a conversation to have with your family. Don't avoid the conversation. Encourage it. The process and the conversation, as you describe, are really what's most important so that everybody who may be working on your behalf in the future understands what you really wanted. Well, and he was recorded and he went and played it for his friends. and He was all excited at how he sounded. I'm like really embarrassed. But still, it was really helpful and he enjoyed himself. That's wonderful. It's wonderful for your audience to have walked through it with him. And now they can all call me out if I do something he doesn't want. Well, guess what he said? Everybody else knows. So, okay, so these are some important things. When you mentioned earlier, when you go to see your doctor, bring your medicines, bring your over-the-counter medicines or write down what you're taking and also bring your supplements. We're going to have discussions in the next few weeks about supplements because sometimes when you get the magic formula of something, it is a proprietary formula and you might write down, I'm taking X. And then if you don't bring in the bottle or at least the box, I have no idea what's in there. And so it's really helpful to have that whole list of what the ingredients are. Some things kind of come out right at you and say, hmm, don't use this with a blood thinner or don't use this with your aspirin or something. And then we also talked about what are the things that we can do to help with people who have dementia to really understand how we can be their caregivers and satisfy their needs and not put them in a position where they feel disempowered, but also to help everybody around them as well. Okay. Then we also talked a little bit about what are some of the things that we need to do as far as advanced directives. The other thing that we have just uh, just about a minute or so is immunizations. Now, how big are you on people getting their flu shots and getting their pneumonia shots? So I see a lot of patients in nursing homes, and we have everybody get the flu shot. And pneumonia shot, well, generally they have to have when they come in. So usually they're pretty covered with that. But once one person gets sick, it can spread like wildfire. So we're very proactive with that. Particularly if you see people in a nursing home, you kind of have to be. You kind of have to be. Because one person and even even staff, you know, I think one of the things that a couple of years ago was publicized were the immunization rates of the different medical centers. They should be higher. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anybody who works at a medical center should get immunized so that they don't spread it to other individuals. Right. So we don't give it to each other. We don't give it to our patients and we stay healthy. You know, we think we know how to not get the flu. Mm -hmm. I used to say I know how to not get it till I got the flu. And then I realized... 
this wasn't a good plan. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much. For, we're going to have to do it again. We, we didn't even cover all the topics we were going to, Dr. Hubbard, but we are going to do it again. Thank you again to Dr. Carolyn Hubbard from Kaiser Permanente coming in and talking about some of the excellent things we can do as we get older. I'm going to drive home a different way tonight after <laughs> I do good. some walking around the park and get some exercise. And thanks again to Dr. Cheryl Shook. If you want to hear about the three workshops that she is in charge of, you can give a call to 734 921 one again seven three four nine two one one it's going to be at Kapiolani Community College I might just see you there our engineer is David Chong our executive producer Beth Ann Kozlovich I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak we'll see you next week right here on the body show Woo!